I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, John chapter 14 and Mark chapter 16. Uh, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we started uh, what I thought was just going to be a one-night message on uh, faith in the name of Jesus. And I have yet to cover what uh, what I intended to do, at least um, I guess started on it, I guess. But uh, we uh, we took some different uh, different tacks and the Holy Ghost seemed to lead us in some different directions. So now I guess we can say this is a full-fledged series now. Not because we intended to, just because we keep going on this subject. Tonight we want to talk about the uh, the use of the name of Jesus in the early church. But uh, we want to use this, uh, some text scriptures, John chapter 14 and Mark chapter 16, same ones that we started with. In um, John's gospel, John gives us some uh, inside information, more detailed information than uh, than any of the other gospel writers. Uh, Matthew was an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. He was one of the twelve. So was John. Neither Mark nor Luke were, and so they got their information as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost to share it from other people, from other reports and, and so forth. Uh, John was the last gospel to be written of the four. And as a result, John seems to fill in the blanks in some things that some of the other gospel writers uh, don't tell us about. Uh, consequently, there's, uh, there's a lot more information uh, about certain things in John's gospel than the other writers but then again, John kind of leaves alone some of the things that the other gospel writers have already reported. And so uh, so he's he's kind of, well, I like to look at it as kind of filling in the blanks for us because he was there. And as a result, he gives us a lot more information about the last night that Jesus spent with his disciples and uh, at the Last Supper and the things that he talked to them about. And as uh, consequently, we have more information from John's gospel about the work of the Holy Spirit in the church age than any of the other gospel writers. Jesus apparently went into some detail, according to John anyway, who was there, Jesus went into some detail to tell us how the Holy Spirit would work and how the power of God would work in the church. And none of the other gospel writers really go into much detail about that at all. They may uh, allude to it in uh, certain ways, but uh, but John's the one that gives us uh, the information about that. As such, Jesus began speaking to the disciples, and he said... Um, Well, verse 6, we'll start in verse 6. Jesus said unto him, uh, speaking to Thomas, answering Thomas about where he's going, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I saw uh, somebody sent me an article that that some spiritual teacher, some, I don't know, so-called somebody, uh, put on uh, a blog, um, and uh, he identifies himself as a, as a Christian leader and a spiritual teacher, I think, were the, the titles that he used. And, uh, and he talked about how, the, how Christians ought not to talk about how that Jesus is the only way to God. And then he refers over here to John chapter 14 and said that, you know, where we as Christians say that Jesus identified that he's the only way to God, that's only one interpretation of what Jesus could have been saying. And I thought, you know, you must have given that spiritual teacher title to yourself. How can you misinterpret what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man. He didn't say not many. He said, no one comes to the Father except by me. Amen? It's so sad how so many Christians, and, and I don't, I, you know, I don't have any reason to know, but the guy says he's a Christian. You know, okay, let's accept his testimony for the, for the sake of argument. It's so, it's interesting to me how so many people talk themselves out of the truth of the word trying to get to some place where they get along with everybody. He ended his, uh, his column. He went through, and I think there were six things that he said the church ought to quit saying, Christians ought to quit saying. And finally, he, st- he ends up with John chapter 13, where Jesus said that all men would know us by our love. I thought, well, that's a good thing, but if you don't have Jesus, then the only love you're operating in is natural human love, and that doesn't get anybody anywhere. Folks, the Bible's true. I like to look at it like this. There's the truth, and then there's everything else. There, there may be your idea. There may be my idea. There may be other religious ideas. There may be other interpretational ideas. But there's the truth, and then there's everything else. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, there's no other way but Jesus that's true. Amen? Now, that's going to tie into the things that he says. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you should have known my father also. Now, I don't think that he's saying, Thomas, you never did figure out who I am. I, I really don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying to know me is to know the father. 
Now, Thomas may be questioning some things, and, uh, and he may be showing some areas of doubt that he shouldn't. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I, you know, it's, it's nice to think of yourself, well, what if you were there, and what if you were one of the twelve, and what would you have done? And we always make ourselves the hero of any fantasy or any idea that we have like that. But would we have known any more than they did? i got to tell you something, folks, with all the people that said, oh, wouldn't it be so great to have been one of the twelve walking around with Jesus? I'm glad I live now. I'm glad I live in the, in the day where there's more revelation, greater understanding and greater knowledge of who we are in Christ than they had any clue about, at least in the beginning. He said, if you had known me, you should have known my father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. In other words, there's only one way you can know God, and that's through Jesus. So this guy with his interpretational ideas is out of his mind. Because you can't know God without knowing Jesus. And if you can't believe what Jesus said, you got nothing. Philip said, now Philip's going to join in. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us. We'd be satisfied if you just show us the Father. Give us something to see. Everybody wants to see something, don't they? Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? In other words, he's saying, haven't you seen enough with all the things you've seen in me? How could you possibly think you haven't seen God when you've seen me work miracle after miracle after miracle? Verse 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Don't you believe that, Philip? Well, I think he really did. I think he was just letting his emotions get the best of it. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Now, please notice the connection between words and works. The Bible tells us uh, we may, well, we will look at it in a little bit in uh, Mark chapter 16, after Jesus tells the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Verse 20 of Mark chapter 16 says, And they went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. Now, King James says working with them, but with them is in italics. He worked with the word and confirmed the word. With signs following. Why? Because there's always a connection between the word and the works. God honors his word. He may not honor the individual. Because he never can know what the individual is going to do. But he always confirms his word with signs following. So he said, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me he doeth the works. I got to stop here again. Think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's saying, I'm not the originator of the words that I'm speaking to you. Now, folks, uh, my natural human thinking would be, look, if you're the Son of God, I'll listen to anything you've got to say. Yet Jesus is saying, all the things that you've heard me say haven't come from me. I've spoken what my Father wanted me to tell you. Not what I wanted to say, not what I thought, but what the Father told me to say. And then he went further and said, The Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So he's saying, The things you've heard of me have been from the Father, and the things that you've seen of me have been from the Father. You're looking at me, and it's all been from God. Now, how is that possible? Well, because Jesus operated on the earth as a man, not as the Son of God. The Bible says Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says Jesus emptied himself of any heavenly power and glory that he had and came to the earth. He humbled himself and came to the earth as a man. Now, think about what that means. He's going to go further in verse 12 and say, the works that he did, we should be doing also. We meaning the disciples, and we include ourselves in that company. He said that others will do, others that follow him will do the same works that he did. How is that possible if Jesus did the works, the healings and the miracles because he was the son of God? Because nobody can be the son of God like Jesus was the son of God. Yeah, we're called sons of God because we have the life of God inside of us. But Jesus was born of a virgin without sin. So nobody can be the son of God in that context or in that same way. So if Jesus is doing the works, the miracles and the healings and the signs and wonders and things like that, because he was the son of God, nobody would be able to do those things. Yet we see that Jesus delegated his authority here on the earth to the disciples and they're healing the sick even before he went to the cross to redeem mankind. These very same guys that he said are going to do the works in his name in the church age after the resurrection have already been doing works in his name here on the earth because Jesus said, use my name and do the works. How is that possible? 
Well, it must not have anything to do with the people themselves. It must have to do with what he delegated to them instead. Now, how could Jesus delegate his authority? Because Jesus was not operating as the Son of God. If he was operating as the Son of God, then only other sons of God would be able to do what he did. And nobody else could fit that bill. Nobody else could fall into that category. But the fact that Jesus came to the earth as a man, he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory, and he operated on the earth as a man with the authority that the Bible says belongs to a righteous man. Once he was anointed of the Holy Ghost... Baptized by John in the Jordan River, the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove. From that point forward, he's able to do signs and wonders and miracles. So that means it's not a son of God that's going to do the same works as Jesus, but a man anointed of the Holy Ghost who can do the same works as Jesus. Now, we can fit, we can fill in that category or find ourselves in that category. The words and the works always confirm one another. Or the works always confirm the words. Verse 11, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. He's saying very simply, Philip, you should believe me just because I'm saying so, but if that doesn't do it for you, look at what I've done. That should certainly prove that the words I'm speaking to you are true. Verse 12, verily, verily, I say unto you. Verily, verily means truly, truly. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a, well, it's an oath. It's the closest thing that we know of to somebody swearing, like in court. They put their hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what verily, verily really means. He said, I'm telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So we clearly see when he's talking about doing the works. He didn't say these you do the works until I go to the Father. That's the way a lot of people think that the works of Jesus operated. Jesus did signs and wonders and miracles while he was here on the earth. Jesus is saying we'll do the works that he did after he leaves to go to the Father. That means following the resurrection. That means the church age. That means when we live now. The works that I do. And here's what Jesus swore to. He said, He that believeth on me or literally believeth on my name. They're one and the same. Can't believe on Jesus without believing on his name. The works that I do shall he do also because, 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 because I go unto my Father. Because I go unto my Father. The fact that Jesus went to the Father opened the the door for you and I to have the same relationship with God that Jesus had that allowed him to be anointed of the Holy Ghost to do the signs and wonders and miracles. Let me say that again, if I can. The fact that Jesus went to the Father opened the door for you and I to have the same relationship with God that Jesus had to, in order so that we can be anointed of the Holy Ghost just like Jesus was, so that we can do the same signs and wonders and miracles that he did. In other words, it's based on relationship. It's based on a relationship of believing in him and being in the Father. Jesus made some outstanding statements about relationship. We're right here in John chapter 14. Look with that with me over to John chapter 15 for a second. We'll interrupt ourselves and take another side journey here for just a moment. John chapter 15. Jesus is still speaking, still at the last supper. He's talking about being in uh, in the vine, uh, him being the vine, we're the branches. Um well, let's start reading in verse 4. He said, "Abide in me and I in you." As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. Now, he's talking about bearing fruit. He's talking about producing results. God's all about results, folks, not intentions. We're not going to stand before Jesus at the end and him to say, well-intended, good and faithful servant. Now, I know a lot of the world seems to be operating on intentions. It doesn't matter what, what the results uh, are, are produced as long as we mean well. Well, that's not the way God operates at all. We're going to stand before Jesus and hopefully hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Forget this intention stuff. It's like Yoda says, don't intend, do. little Star Wars thing in there for you, for those of you that might know. I think I botched that up anyway. God's all about results. Jesus said even further in this 15th chapter, he said, I called you to go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. God's all about results, folks. 
He's all about results. So he said, this is the only way you're ever going to produce results. This is the only way you're ever going to bring forth results. And that is for you to abide in me and for me to abide in you. In other words, relationship is the only way that results can occur. Our relationship with God. Our relationship with his word. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. But only through relationship. For without, literally apart from me, the margin of my Bible says severed from me, you can do nothing. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about without that relationship, you can't do anything. You know how Jesus said, that there will be some in the last days that will say, Lord, we did great signs and wonders or did great works in your name. And he'll say, depart, I never knew you. What's he saying? He's saying, you can't really produce results without knowing me, without being in a relationship with me. There'll be a lot of people that will claim, yeah, well, I worked for God. Not if you didn't have a relationship with him, you didn't. Everything else was you just doing things on your own for your own purposes. It's relationship, folks. Everything is about relationship. That's what separates Christianity from any other religion, any other doctrine, any other ism there is in the world. Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus. There is no other religion on the face of the earth that offers you being united with God. Everything else is working yourself into a higher plane of consciousness or working yourself into some place where God likes you. Christianity is the only thing that offers you a relationship with God. And that's through Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You can't have a relationship with God except through Jesus. You can work for him, but you're not going to do any good. You can claim a lot of things, but without a relationship, nothing will result. So he said, no man can produce anything severed or apart from me. Without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me, He is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Folks, i got to tell you, you know as well as I do that relationships are on different levels. You have a different relationship with all the people that are around you here in this place. They may be casual acquaintances. Some may be casual acquaintances, but you might have your husband and wife or wife here with you. That husband and wife relationship is a much closer relationship that you're going to have with me or any other, any other person here that's casual acquaintance. You may have some people that are here that are close friends. So with your husband or your wife, you've got a real close relationship with your friends, close friends. You may have, uh, a, you know, somewhat of a close relationship, not as much as the husband and wife. The marriage relationship. But then other people are just going to be people you see from time to time. And so they're going to be casual acquaintances. And all they are going to have is just a, a, a bare minimum of relationship. Relationships are always based on degrees. As a matter of fact, that's how you find out how you can trust somebody. The people you've identified that you can trust, you're closer to them. Right? That's what boundaries and relationships are all about. How much can I trust this person? Well, I don't know them well enough to know yet. So what do we do? We kind of keep them at arm's length. They may be brothers and sisters in Christ, but that doesn't mean we open our lives up to them. Everything is based on degrees when it comes to relationships. Everything. And that's right. That's appropriate. It's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus is saying your relationship with him ought to be a two-way relationship, you abiding in him and him abiding in you. In other words, that's as close as you can get. Husband and wife don't abide in one another. So your relationship with Jesus should be closer than the relationship you have with your husband or your wife. How many people can claim that to be the case? That's the way it should be. Husbands and wives don't abide in one another. They abide with one another, but not in one another. Even though the Bible says that when we become husband and wife, we are made one flesh, not one spirit. But with God, you're one spirit. Should be the closest relationship there is. Back to verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. In other words, it doesn't produce results. Now notice what the fruit or the results that he's looking for us to produce are identified as in verse 7. If you abide in me, it's conditional. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, he's just said, if you abide in me and I abide in you. How is that possible? By his word abiding in you. 
The word of God abiding in you is Jesus abiding in you because Jesus is the word made flesh. He identifies that in verse 7. If you abide in me and if my words abide in you, then that relationship, that close relationship, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Well, unless extenuating circumstances are involved. Well, yeah, but Pastor Mike, what if somebody asks for something outside the will of God? If the word's abiding in you, you won't. Because you know what the will of God is. The word of God is the will of God. Can you see what he's saying? Folks, this is the reason why the church, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but this is the reason why most of the church is so powerless. So much of the church world goes around trying to figure out what the will of God is. Well, it's easy. All you got to do is abide in the word and let the word abide in you, and you know what the will of God is. You don't have to wonder. You don't even have to pray about most things. You know, because the Bible says so. And if the Bible tells you what the will of God is in the situation or shows us what Jesus did in the situation, that's showing us the will of God too, then you pray for the rest of your life and then you can't change it. It's still the will of God. So many Christians say, oh, we just need to know him more. We'll get in the word and find out who he is. We just need a fresh revelation of God. No, you don't. You need to let the word abide in you. Notice this conditional. If you abide in me and if my words abide in you, you're the one that decides whether or not you do or whether or not it does. It's not up to God. It's up to you. It's up to me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then here's the fruit you're supposed to reproduce. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Verse 8. Herein, in this, in you asking what you will and it's done unto you. In this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants you to get answers to prayer. God is glorified when you get answers to your prayers. But how many Christians do you know, even in the area of healing? This is healing school, so let's talk about healing for a little bit. How many people do you know in the, in the area of healing that, go, that, that spend their time thinking, well, maybe there's some reason why I'm not healed? Maybe God's got some plan. Maybe it's, maybe it's in God's timing. Do you see any of that in verse 7? Do you see any of the stuff that Christians complain about or try to figure out or, or conspire to come up with in verse 7? Verse 7 is about as clear as you can get. Jesus already said that it's through relationship, simply through relationship that you produce results. You can't produce results outside of that relationship. So what do we do? If you abide in me and if my words abide in you, then you'll ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. No ifs, ands, or buts. In fact, he goes further and said, this is what glorifies God. God's not glorified by you not getting answers to your prayers. God's not glorified by you sitting around agonizing and wondering, well, maybe God's got some greater plan in mind. Maybe there's some purpose. Maybe God's trying to teach me something. Maybe there's a hindrance. This is all stuff that the church does, particularly in the area of healing. And yet the Bible says God is glorified when you get answers to your prayers. Could he be any more clear? I know we confuse it, but could God, from God's standpoint, could God be any more clear about this? Thank God John filled in the blanks for us. John must have read these other, uh, the Gospel of John probably was written about anywhere from 85 to 90 A.D., which was in the neighborhood of 50 years, 40 to 50 years beyond or later than any of the other Gospels. John must have read the other Gospels and said, wait a minute, there's stuff you need to know. And so he told us, and thank God he told us. Thank God the Holy Ghost inspired him to tell us what, what other things were said. Well, as an eyewitness, he should know. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall, not might, not the odds are good, and it shall be done unto you. Herein, in this, in you getting answers, in this is your Father glorified, or is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. He's saying that disciples bear fruit. 
Now, I can prove that to you right here in chapter 15. Notice it says in verse 16, Jesus is continuing to talk along the same lines. He said in verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now, folks, I I read things like this and I think, Jesus, are you sure this is what you wanted? You chose us? Seriously? Did you know what you were doing? He said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. In other words, God knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what your weaknesses are. He knew exactly how you try to explain away certain things like we do. And he still picked you. We need to quit complaining about our weaknesses and our failures and our shortcomings and realize, hey, God knew us going in and he picked us. If he didn't complain about our problems, why should we? If he didn't complain about how weak we were, why should we? If he didn't complain about our shortcomings and still picked us, I mean, it's kind of like the schoolyard picking teams. He didn't look at us and say, well, I would pick them, but man, they are so weak. I'll pick Joey over here instead. No, he saw you for who you were and chose you. Man, when we think in those terms, I don't know about you, but it makes me feel like I could charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. The word ordained means set you apart, called you and sent you. Here's what you're sent to do. That you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That, here's what he says about bringing forth fruit, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now, this word ask is the word ask. It's not the word that's used over in uh, verse 7. The ver- in verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That word ask is the word request. He said, whatever you request. And we have to assume that requests are talking about prayer. But over in chapter 15, verse, uh, what was that? Verse 26 or verse 16 is the same word ask in John chapter 14 and verse 13. It means to call for or require. Jesus said, I've not, that we haven't chosen him, that he chose us and have ordained us to go bring forth fruit and that whatever we call for or require in his name, From the Father, he will give it to us. Back to chapter 14. We're left with verse 12. We'll read that again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, or literally in my name, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. How are we going to do the same works Jesus did, or the greater works? Now, I've said this before, but it bears repetition. I don't know what the greater works are. And I'm not really concerned about it. I know some parts of the church will say, well, the greater works are getting people saved and we're getting people saved. And that's just the greatest thing you could do. Well, okay, that's fine. I'm glad people are getting other folks saved. But the people that make those claims forget that Jesus said we'd do the same works that he did, which had to include healings and miracles and the greater works. He didn't say you do the greater works instead of the works that I do. He said you'd do the same works and greater works. I find my attention focusing on the same works as Jesus, and then we'll take care of the greater works whenever they come along. Because I don't know what they are. I'd just be happy to do the same works as Jesus. Man, at the end of my life, they wrote on my tombstone, he did the works of Jesus. Glory to God. How much better does it get than that? I'm not interested in somebody saying he did greater works than Jesus. Who cares? Let's just work on the same things Jesus did. So he said, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my father. Verse 13, and whatsoever you shall ask. This is the word to call for or require. Whatsoever you shall call for or require in my name, that will I do that the father may be glorified in the son. Now, folks, there's a difference in what he says here. He's saying if we ask of the father, the father will do it for us. But if we call for or require something in his name, He's the one that does it. So you got it covered both ways. Calling for and requiring in the name of Jesus is to do his works. Asking or making a request of the Father comes as a result of the word abiding in you. That's your prayer life. And both of them are based on the same thing, and that is relationship. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 16. 
I can see we're not going to get much further in this tonight than we have before. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And Jesus said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus has just been raised from the dead and he's commissioning the disciples on what to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be down. We've talked about this before, but he's talking about believing and being baptized into Christ, not being baptized in water. He that believeth and confesses Jesus as Lord, in other words, becomes a part of the family of God and is therefore saved. But he that believeth not, he that rejects Jesus shall be damned. Eternity is based on Jesus, not on water baptism. Verse 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Now, you'll notice I ran through some of the punctuation there. The reason for that is the translators put the punctuation in. In the original text, there is no punctuation. It's all uppercase letters or what we would call uppercase letters. So the translators put it in according to what they understood. They did a good job for the most part, but I think they missed it in some places. I think they missed it here. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. He's talking about the whole point is believing in his name. Now, isn't that what Jesus said over in John chapter 14, verse 12? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, wouldn't that be the same thing as believing in his name? The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works that these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now, here's the reason I say that, folks. You can't be saved without believing in Jesus. Yet it's obvious that not everybody that believes in Jesus, meaning that are saved, are doing his works. As a matter of fact, there's a good percentage of the church that argues that the works of Jesus can't be done today by Christians or by the church at large. Right? So he's got to be talking about believing in his name in a different way than just believing to get saved. Doesn't he? I mean, that makes, that seems simple to me. Does everybody understand where I'm coming from on that? You may not agree, but at least you understand where I'm coming from on this, on that point. When he's talking about believing in him or believing in his name, he's got to be talking about believing in the power that's in his name, not just believing to get saved. Because certainly not everybody that's saved is even trying to do the works of Jesus much less stumbling up on them. Well, I believe he's talking about the same thing here. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. He didn't say this will happen when those that are saved. Because not all of these things follow. Not all of these signs follow those that are saved. But these signs are intended to follow those that believe in his name. And Jesus made a real distinction between disciples and believers. Jesus said to the believers, those that believed in him in his ministry, he said, if you obey my word, then are you my disciples indeed. I think there's the same distinction in the church today. You've got believers, meaning those that are saved, and then you've got disciples who are operating on the word, doing the works of Jesus. That's nothing new. Jesus had that in his ministry too. I want to be a disciple. I don't want to just be somebody that's saved. I don't want to just be a family member. I want to be somebody that's doing the work. Because that's what we're called to do. So he said, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Well, what signs, Jesus? Sign number one, they shall cast out devils. First thing he said happens as a result. First fruit, first sign, first result that he said will follow those that believe in the name of Jesus is authority over the devil. I wonder if it's an accident that he put that one first. Folks, the Bible said for this purpose, Jesus was made manifest here in the earth. John said, First John 3, I'm not sure what verse it is. He said, for this purpose, Jesus, the Son of God, was made manifest on the earth that he might destroy the works of the devil. Works, plural. Not work, singular, meaning sin. Works, plural. Everything Jesus did, every work that Jesus performed was a destruction of the devil's work. When he healed the sick, he was destroying sickness in the life, destroying sickness that the devil had brought into somebody's life. When he cast the devil out of somebody, he was destroying the bondage that the devil had imposed upon somebody through demon possession. When he multiplied the loaves and the fishes, he was he was destroying the the uh, the lack that was caused here in the earth by Satan's sin, or I'm sorry, by Adam's sin when Satan deceived him. Everything Jesus did was a destruction of the devil's work. So the first thing he mentions is you'll cast out devils. You'll exercise authority over the devil. How many Christians do you know that are doing that? 
Only the ones that believe in his name. Only the ones that believe there's power in the name of Jesus. How many times have you heard Christians say, well, you know, I don't know what happened, but the devil ran off and left. Not sure what happened or how that worked. Folks, that never, nobody ever tells that story. You might have people say, I prayed and it got worse. The only people that are running the devil off are the people that are using the name of Jesus. So these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Number one, they shall cast out devils or exercise authority over the devil. Second sign, he said, they shall speak with new tongues. You know what I think a lot of charismatic Christians see in this? They shall be able to speak with new tongues. Because it amazes me how many spirit-filled Christians don't speak with tongues frequently. There have been times over the years where we've uh, we've had maybe a Wednesday night service or whatever, anytime, whenever it is. And the, the, the presence of the Lord would come in or the Lord would seem to give us direction. We'd say, let's just spend a few moments and let's just all begin to worship in other tongues. And you look around the room and there may be five people that are, whose lips are moving and everybody else is just standing there thanking God. The Bible says that you speak with new tongues. That's one of the signs that follow those that believe in his name. Folks, if you're, if you're spirit-filled, use it. For goodness sakes, use it. That's the Holy Ghost in there. He's indwelling you. Well, what's he there for? He's there to empower you. He's there to edify you. He's there to charge your battery, charge your spiritual battery. He's there to provide spiritual power to you. Then how many Christians, spirit-filled Christians, go through life and they may speak with tongues once a week? You know how you can always tell? Get in a prayer meeting with somebody and say, let's speak with tongues for the next 10 minutes. Anything over 5 or 10 minutes, most Christians are out. They'll speak with tongues for just a little bit, but after that it's kind of like, well, okay, I'm not sure what the point of this is. And, you know, there are important things to do. And Folks, you need to be speaking in tongues all day, every day. Now, that doesn't mean shut yourself up in a closet somewhere. That means speak in tongues while you're doing other stuff. Drive down the road, speak in other tongues. If you've got a job where you are off by yourself, if you don't have a job where you're off by yourself, for goodness sakes, don't speak in tongues out loud where other people can hear you. But folks, tongues, speaking with tongues, supernatural utterance in other tongues comes from your spirit. It doesn't hinder you from working your job. If your job is a mental thing or it's a physical thing, you can work your job just as well while you're speaking in tongues as if you're not. Matter of fact, better probably. So you can, you can take the Holy Ghost with you in whatever you do. I'm amazed at how few charismatic or spirit-filled Christians use what the Holy Ghost has given them. Brother Hagin used to say it this way. He says, like inviting the Holy Spirit into your living room and then walking around living your life and ignoring that he's there. Well, that's a good analogy. Holy Spirit's not in you just to hitch a ride through life. He's there to empower you. He's there to help you. So these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Number one, they shall cast out devils or exercise authority over the devil. Number two, they shall speak with new tongues. Notice those that believe in his name do speak with new tongues. Third thing, he said they shall take up serpents. That's another reference to authority over the devil. It's not talking about handling snakes. It's talking about lifting the devil's power or lifting the devil's bondage like you'd pick up an anchor and sail away. So this authority over the devil thing must be really serious with Jesus. Mentions it twice. Sign number one, sign number three. Fourth thing he said, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. This is not talking about tempting God. This is not talking about doing something stupid. It's talking about divine protection. The Holy Ghost is in you and the name of Jesus is given to you for divine protection. Finally, the last thing, the last of the five signs. Is they, the believing ones, the ones that believe in his name, shall lay hands on the sick, and they, the sick, shall recover. Verse 19, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Here's verse 20 that I referred to a minute ago. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Notice the word them is in italics if you're reading in the King James with me. That means the, that means the translators added the word them. The original text says, the Lord working with and confirming the word. God works with his word. 
He doesn't just work with you. He works with the word. Well, yeah, but Pastor Mike, I want him to work with me. Then speak the word. That's supposed to be how it works. He confirms his word with signs following. The Lord, they went everywhere, went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. Well, what signs? Authority over the devil, speaking with new tongues, divine protection, and healing the sick. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 3. We're not going to get but just a hint of this tonight. But I think it's important that we look forward to the things that John told us that Jesus said about how it was going to work in the church. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me or in my name, the works that I do shall he do also, and even greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, and whatsoever you call for or require in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Let's see that in action. Acts chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, that means all of his life, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. This guy's got to be in his 30s, if they're calling, at least in his 30s, if they're calling him a man. Who, the crippled man, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. He's asking for money. And Peter, fasting his eyes on him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. Means he didn't bring any with him to the temple. But such as I have, give I thee. Well, what have you got, Peter? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, folks, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen, or exactly what Jesus said that the disciples would do in John chapter 14, verse 13. And whatsoever you call for or require in my name, That will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If Jesus told the truth, and he really meant what he said about those that believe in his name doing the same works as he did, then we can expect Jesus, through the power in his name, to perform the same healing miracle as if Jesus administered healing to this guy himself. What happens? Verse 7, and he, Peter, took him, the crippled man, by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, the crippled man, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. You know, it's almost like Jesus meant what he said. And it's almost like the disciples believed that Jesus was telling them the truth. In John chapter 14. It's almost like they expected to go do the same works that Jesus did. Now, folks, i got to tell you, I think this is one of the differences between what we see in the book of Acts and what we see in the modern day church. Because how much of the modern day church really expects to see the works of Jesus? It's got to be a pretty small number. These guys, however... Expected results. Now, I've got to qualify this a little bit. This does not say that this is the first time Peter and John have passed this guy. Another example of this is in Acts chapter 19 where it says that that Paul was on his way to the temple. And there was a little girl that was possessed with a spirit of divination, King James says. In other words, she was a fortune teller. That was a little slave girl that was telling fortunes for her master and making money for them. Day after day after day, she cried after Paul and his company, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. It says one day, after many days, one day, Paul was turned to him, turned to, turned to the little girl, was grieved in his spirit, and cast the devil out of her. Why didn't he do it on the first day? Folks, there's something about Jesus' ministry that we have to keep in mind, and that is he did not just go around indiscriminately pushing healing on people. There were many times where Jesus went through the crowd and didn't do anything except responded to whatever the crowd demanded of him. John chapter 5 tells us about Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda. There were five porches full of people that were sick and lame and and crippled in all kinds of different situations, impotent in their feet and so on and so forth that are described. And only one guy got healed in the whole crowd. So many times people have the idea that Jesus, because he had the power of God to heal, he just went and indiscriminately healed the sick no matter what. And he did not. 
Okay, well, Pastor Mike, if Jesus didn't go just heal anybody that he saw that was sick or crippled or whatever, then how do we know when to use the name of Jesus? Well, I have to read from Acts chapter 19 and then here again in Acts chapter 3. I have to read that there are times where the Holy Ghost will prompt you to do certain things. I think that's what happened here. Because the Bible says, notice what it says. We read over it real quickly, but let's back up in, in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. The hour of prayer indicates they do this every day. The hour of prayer means the, the, indicates to me that they have a regular routine. Well, is this the only time they've ever gone through this gate to the temple? He's laid daily at the gate. Not only has Jesus probably passed this guy in his earthly ministry on several occasions, but probably these guys have passed this crippled guy before. Well, okay, why didn't Jesus heal him when he passed him? Or why didn't Jesus hear of the guy and go to him and heal him? Folks, that's not how healing works. Jesus always responded with healing power to anybody that came to him to receive. But he did not indiscriminately push it off on somebody else. John chapter 5 is a good example of when the Holy Ghost prompted Jesus to heal one person out of the whole crowd. He healed the one crippled man that couldn't get into the water fast enough when the angel came and troubled the water. But then Jesus conveyed himself away and nobody knew who he was. In other words, he didn't stay and heal everybody else. So there are certainly times where the Holy Ghost will prompt us to do it. Well, why does it work that way, Pastor Mike? I don't want it to work that way. I'm sorry. What can you do? This is the way it works. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I need to receive from God today. Great. You can put yourself into the same category as everybody else that was healed in Jesus' ministry or the most of everybody else that was healed in Jesus' ministry by putting a demand on Jesus as your individual healer. He always responded with healing power to those. You can't find one person Jesus ever turned away. But you can find a lot of people that Jesus did not minister healing to because they didn't extend faith toward him to receive. Did I make that clear? Does that make sense? Now, a lot of the church doesn't want it that way. They want to believe that Jesus healed because he was the son of God, and so he just he just healed. Jesus looked around and said, you, be healed. And that's not the way it worked. Very, very few occasions did Jesus initiate, or the Holy Ghost in Jesus, initiate a healing work. The vast majority of those that were healed in Jesus' ministry were healed as a result of the faith of the individual, and he responded in kind. In other words, God never, through Jesus' ministry, God never turned anybody away that came to Jesus to receive. So that puts the responsibility on us to believe where it should be. It's a good thing Peter and John knew they had something. Peter's doing the talking. We don't know what John's position is in this. John may be looking around thinking, Peter, what are you about to do? Because Peter may be the one that's impressed or prompted by the Holy Ghost to do something. If that's the case, where's John? Peter says, look on us. John said, don't look at me. I don't have anything on this. What are you going to do, Peter? We don't know. I would assume that would be the case, but who knows? But Peter knew he had something. He had a prompting of the Holy Ghost to use the name of Jesus to produce a healing or a miracle work. So he said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Now, in my opinion, that's why the man immediately received, his ankle bones immediately received strength. This man could have received on his own faith just as easily as the Holy Ghost prompting something. But when the Holy Ghost prompts it, that's when you have a greater measure of healing power at work. Now, you can duplicate that. You can get the same measure of healing power at work by faith in the individual and faith in the person ministering healing. The combination of those two things together can equal the prompting of the Holy Ghost or a manifestation of the Spirit. Okay, verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, this is a marvelous statement. Please notice what he says. 
Why marvel you at us or marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or our holiness we had made this man to walk? In other words, he's saying, why are you looking at us like we did something special? Now, folks, I've said this before, but it bears repetition. Thank God the Holy Ghost knew what the argument of the modern day church was going to be. Most of the modern day church says the disciples, the apostles did these kind of works because they had some special power in the name of Jesus to prove that Jesus was alive or they had some special place of relationship or holiness or whatever because they were the original 12. Peter says specifically that it was not special power and it was not special holiness. Peter debunks outright the modern day church's argument about why the early day church, the early church could do signs and wonders and miracles and the modern day church cannot. Peter says flat out that it wasn't that. Well, what was it then? Verse 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his son, Jesus. Just like Jesus said, whatever you call for requiring my name, that will I do that the father may be glorified in the son. He said, God just glorified Jesus here. Verse 16, we'll skip down through the things that Jesus said or that Peter said to kind of point a finger at him. Verse 16, he says, and his faith through faith in his name, rather through faith in his name. Williams translation says on the grounds of faith in his name, his name has made this man strong. I like that on the grounds of faith in his name. Well, Jesus said, if you believe on me or believe in my name, the works that I do show you do also on the grounds of faith in his name. I'm convinced, folks, we need to build our faith in the name of Jesus. That should be the point of all of this. We need to build our faith in the name of Jesus. Now, you may be sitting there saying, well, Pastor Mike, I'm not sure how strong my faith is in the name of Jesus. Okay, that's an honest position. That's an honest answer or honest statement. But wherever your faith is in the name of Jesus, you can always make it grow or increase. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So the more you hear, the more you meditate on what Jesus said would happen in his name, the more faith will rise in the name of Jesus. I doubt very seriously if any time that Peter, that uh, Jesus said these things are in John chapter 15 when the disciples are sitting around. I doubt very seriously if any of these guys are ready to go run out and use his name that at that moment. Because he said this is the way it would work when he went to the father. Well, what happened after that night? Jesus was betrayed. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Then the Roman soldiers came to take him. He went to Pilate's court. The next day he was beaten. He was taken before Pilate. He was, the, the, he was beaten. Then he was taken before Herod. I mean, it was, it was one giant mess as far as the disciples were concerned. Their world was turned upside down. Even, even though Jesus told them what was going to happen ahead of time, their world was turned absolutely upside down. Do you think they're spending the next three days thinking about power in his name? The Bible says they're huddled up behind closed doors, afraid that the Jews are going to come after them next. They're not thinking about the name of Jesus. They're not thinking about power in his name. They're not thinking about doing the works of Jesus. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, our world is, is destroyed. Our world is ended. They're not meditating on the power in the name of Jesus. But after Jesus was raised from the dead, that's when these guys probably started thinking, wait a minute. All the stuff Jesus said we were going to do. Look at how this goes. They see the Holy Ghost poured out on the day of Pentecost. My goodness gracious. Our world, we thought our world had ended when they betrayed Jesus and took him captive. Look at how our world has turned around now. Look at the power in the name of Jesus that's available. Meditating in the name of Jesus will put you in a position for the Holy Ghost to use you just like he did Acts chapter 3 for Peter. And, And for me, that's the bottom line. I don't know how you interpret this stuff, but that for me, that's the bottom line. I can't make the Holy Ghost prompt me to use the name of Jesus, but I can be ready when he does. Now, when it comes to using the name of Jesus in my own personal life, I don't have to wait for any prompting of the Holy Ghost for that. If I abide in him and his word abides in me, then I can ask what I will and it'll be done unto me. Well, that means supernatural or miraculous things too, doesn't it? He said, I can ask what I will. Well, what I will is a miracle. I need a miracle in my body. Piece of cake. Jesus said so. And not only that, but Jesus said that that the Father was glorified if that was the result I got. In other words, God wants that result. He's not fighting against it. He wants it. 
See the point I'm making? And his name, verse 16, and his name through faith in his name. On the grounds of faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him. That's why I believe this was a prompting of the Holy Ghost. Because Peter said, this was not my faith, this was God's faith. A gift of faith, special measure of faith given to me. Yea, the faith which is by him has given him, the crippled man, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now, skipping real quickly over to chapter 4, they were called under before the council, same ones that crucified Jesus. And notice what their question is. Verse 7, when they had set Peter and John in the midst of this council, they said, by what power or by what name have you done this? They know these guys don't have the power to heal cripples. Nobody does. So they want to know, where did you get the power to do this? Or what name did you do, did you use to cause this result? The Eastern, folks, I, th- I don't think we understand. The Eastern world understands people operating in other people's names. We don't. Closest thing we've got is the power of attorney. And that's a limited thing in uh, limited circumstances where powers of attorney are used. But literally, that's what Jesus gave us. He gave us power of attorney in his name. Now, if you have ever been granted a power of attorney, you know that the limits of that authority go to whatever links that agreement you have covers. If you've got power of attorney over somebody's assets or somebody's life, then that means whatever you decide goes. That's what he gave us in the name of Jesus. We have power of attorney in the name of Jesus. So the the council says, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, if this problem is because we did something good for this crippled guy, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him. Notice the name equals the man himself. The name even by him Jesus himself, does this man stand here before you whole? This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner, meaning the, the foundation of the church. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, folks, we need to develop boldness in the name of Jesus. Now, for me... There's, there's, a, there's a very definite line. I started to say fine line. I don't know if that's accurate, but there's a very definite line. If I'm bold to try to jump out there and make something happen, God's not responsible for honoring that. But if I'm bold to be ready when the Holy Ghost prompts me, God backs that up. I've seen so many people get excited about the name of Jesus and they'll run out and try to make something happen. Well, they're not trying to make it happen because God prompted them to. They're trying to make it happen so that they can build a name for themselves. And God doesn't honor that. But we can be ready with faith developed in the name of Jesus so that the Holy Ghost knows when a situation arises, where's my guy? There he is. He's ready. That's something that can take place easily and simply. And I believe that's the condition of Peter when he says, what are you guys looking at us for? We didn't do this. It wasn't our power. It wasn't our holiness that did this. It was the name of Jesus that did it. He was just ready to be used. But his faith was developed in the name of Jesus. He knew what he had. All he needs is the Holy Ghost to prompt him to use it. Now, again, if it was something in his own life, he doesn't have to wait for the Holy Ghost to prompt him to do anything. He can choose to use it in his own life concerning himself. But when it comes to a work for somebody else, especially if it's a situation where they're not already believing God for something on their own, that's something we have to trust God to give us. It's going to have, you're going to have to have faith not only for the name of Jesus, but faith for the other guy too. Does that make sense? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, that, that could, that's, is probably the best thing that anybody could ever say about us. Man, those folks are with, spend time with Jesus. Those people know Jesus. What better could somebody say about us? 
Let's keep reading in chapter 5. We'll, we'll finish up. I know I'm out of time, but let's finish reading here in chapter 5. It said, verse 14, they beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I love that. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now, I think people have progressed today because a lot of people will deny it, even with something standing in front of them. But back then, they didn't. They said, well, look, we're going to look like idiots if we try to deny this. Here's this crippled man that's healed. We can't deny that. But that it spread no further. Let's nip this thing in the bud. That it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. There's only one way we can stop this, and that's by prohibiting them, forbidding them to use this name of Jesus. Because the name of Jesus is what did the work. It can't be these guys. Look at these guys. Well, if it wasn't them that did it, what did it? It was the name. So we've got to stop this teaching in the name of Jesus. Folks, I think that's the devil's practice even today. He doesn't care if the church talks about being Christians and walking in love and doing all this other stuff to get along with the world. But he does care about... The church preaching the name of Jesus. And they called them, verse 18, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it's right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you be the judge. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, then let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people for all men glorified God for that which was done. So what do they do? They go back to their own company. Verse 23, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They start praying. It says in verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold the threatenings. They didn't even start off talking about what the council threatened them with. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants with all that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, it was boldness that caused the faith, that caused the name of Jesus to heal this man to begin with, wasn't it? It was boldness that the council recognized in Peter and John, even when they saw they were ignorant and unlearned men, that caused them to know that they had been with Jesus. Now, what are they doing? They're praying for more boldness. That must be a necessary ingredient. Granted to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal. Notice what he said the boldness is going to come by. By healing works and signs. Folks, I've got to tell you something. What they just said, we can only be witnesses of the things which we've seen. What did they see in Jesus? They saw him doing miracle works. Now, I, I, I think we build things up in our mind that are different, uh, differently than what the Bible says it works. We think of signs and wonders being done with lightning flashing from the sky and thunder rolling and some tremendous show being made. And Jesus didn't heal like that. Jesus took people by the hand, lifting them up. And they started jumping around saying, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Jesus patted them on the back and said, don't tell anybody. We think of a big show. And it's very seldom that there was a big show attached to it. If God was in the business of a big show, can you imagine what he would do? I mean, the Bible tells us what God could do. It says in the Old Testament, he speaks and and mountains melt like wax. That's a pretty big show. God's not in the business of a show, folks. He's in the business of setting people free. So be careful that we don't put our own interpretation on how things are supposed to work. God's interested in the supernatural, not always the spectacular. So they said, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Folks, when you've seen miracles, who can talk you out of them? When you've witnessed the power of God in operation, who's going to tell you it doesn't work? It's so funny. I have people that want to challenge me in different ways, whether it's by email or sometimes they want to call on the phone and this kind of stuff, and they want to argue. Well, I just don't believe that God heals everybody. You believe whatever you want to. Well, I just don't believe that the Bible says that it belongs to to everybody, that Jesus died for everybody's sickness. Okay. I'm supposed to change what I think because somebody wants to argue? 
I've seen people healed. You're going to tell me that God doesn't do miracles? Well, the day of miracles has passed away. The age of miracles has passed away. Well, the God of miracles hasn't. Well, it doesn't work the way that it did in Jesus' ministry. Who wants to spend time arguing with fools? I've seen it. Who can talk you out of what you've witnessed? That's what Peter tells the council. He said, we can only be witnesses of what we've seen and heard. So what did they do? They prayed for greater boldness. Granted to thy servants boldness that with all, granted to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. Man, that's a good prayer. Why don't we all stand and pray that prayer? Forgive me for going for so long, folks, but I got to tell you something. We're coming into a day where the use of the name of Jesus is going to be so important. We may be laying groundwork, but there's coming a time where the Holy Ghost is going to prompt us to use this name. And we're going to see signs and wonders and miracles just like they did. And we'll see results just like they did from the signs and wonders and miracles. The Bible tells us that 5,000 people got saved because that one crippled guy got healed. You're going to see things like that. You may even see them on television. That may be how God broadcasts some things. I don't know. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious and holy name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you said that we, because we believe in the name of Jesus, we believe in your name, we do the same works as you did and even greater works. Whatever those greater works are, Father, we're focusing on the works that Jesus did. You said whatever we call for or require in your name, you'd do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Father, we pray even as the early church prayed, grant unto your servants boldness that we may speak your word and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us boldness, Father, to declare what your word says. The responsibility is not ours, but the truth of the word belongs to us. Thank you, Father. For the power in the name of Jesus. Thank you that the, that the name of Jesus hasn't lost one ounce of strength in 2,000 years. It hasn't lost one bit of its power. It hasn't lost one bit of its availability. The power is still as available today as it ever was. Thank you, Father, that as we develop our faith and meditate in the name of Jesus and the power of that name, thank you, Father, that it sets people free today just like it set people free in the early days of the church. Grant unto us, Father that with all boldness we may speak your word. Stretch forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders would be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in you, Father. Therefore, we use your name. We use your name in prayer. We use your name to perform your works, to set others free. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you always honor your name and confirm your word with signs following. If you can agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, we'll pick up here next week. God bless you. Thanks for being with us.